Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today on the Be Brave at Work podcast. Joe Sanok is the author of Tuesday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. Who would not want more of that? His book examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity. Joe has been featured on Forbes, Good Magazine, and hundreds of podcasts across the globe. He is the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads each month. Best-selling authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders and innovators are featured and interviewed in the 550-plus podcasts Joe has done over the last six years. Joe, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled to have you join us today, and I did what I would consider to be a light introduction of you, and I think our listeners would love to hear more from you about your background and how you have come to do what you're doing today. Yeah, my background is uh, in psychology and counseling. I have double master's degrees in both of those areas and um, have really, you know, for a long time been interested in how the human brain works. And for most of my life, I thought business was slimy. I wanted nothing to do with it. Coaching, entrepreneurship. I mean, in college, I sold vacuum cleaners door to door in this pyramid scheme of a vacuum cleaner thing. (laughs) And and so for me, like coming into becoming a business consultant, uh, it was the farthest thing from what I thought I would end up doing. But it really came out of need. Uh, when I started my counseling practice as just a side gig, I realized there were there were no marketing uh, trainings. There were no business trainings on how do you actually run a good business. I had all these clinical skills, uh, but had no idea even what a profit and loss sheet was. Uh, so I just dug into podcasts and reading and um, dove in and started just co-learning with my audience initially uh, for probably the first 100 episodes to just say, hey, I don't even know what an internal link is for a blog post. I should find someone to interview about that. And did that, you know, we just passed 700 podcasts recently. And so over the years, eventually sold my counseling practice uh, and now get to do this full time and, and, you know, create content that's meaningful, not just to counselors anymore, but to people that are building audiences and have big things to say in the world. Well, it's also very interesting how sometimes the most obvious things to teach people are not available, right? So there are not programs designed to help people learn more 
and do more in areas that are very active in the marketplace like podcasting. And that's a message that we have experienced on this podcast in respect to bravery, that when we went to junior high, high school and college, there were not courses on how to be brave in the workplace, how to say things that are difficult to say, how to talk to somebody about a difficult topic. And yet day one in our new job as a leader, right? They say, oh, by the way, you need to go talk to Joe about this topic. And it just seems like the the type of training that we need from time to time is not available to us. And I'm wondering, and I know you're not a particular expert in this topic, why some of the things that we basically need in order to work effectively as an executive, to be brave at work, to host a great podcast are not accessible in the marketplace. Well, it's really interesting as I've dug into kind of how we got to where we're at, looking at also the great resignation, looking at some will call it the shift in our entire work world right now. I think it actually goes back to how the industrialists set us up. Um, You know, in 1926, that's when Henry Ford gave us the 40 hour work week. You know, people were working 60, 70 hours a week before that 14 hour days, six to seven days a week. So the idea of an assembly line mentality, you know, that's how our schools are. That's how our work world often was. People were just machines that you plug in, you get an output from. But so much of that changed over the last, you know, less than 100 years. But our school systems in particular, our universities, our high schools, they're not practically preparing people for the jobs. You know, sure, you get a general sense of an education, how to learn. But the reality is, is that most people were hiring for butts in a chair rather than specific outcomes. And so then the idea of being brave at work, the idea of coming prepared and learning what's the practical thing a therapist needs to know. Well, you know, we're teaching them to be in private practice, but we aren't teaching them anything about the business of private practice. Like it's not too hard to make that connection and just have a conversation of what do people actually need in the world instead of viewing education as an assembly line that you just take these credits and then you graduate with. And so that's the big shift I think that we're seeing in education. I said we're seeing the rise of charter schools, we're seeing the rise of private schools or non-traditional even public schools. But then we're also seeing that in the work world where people are saying, I'm not going to be part of an assembly line anymore. Um, you know, I want to have passion. I want to be brave. I want to have fulfillment. And so all of that to me would be telltale signs of us being in a post-industrialist era now. Well, I could tell you as a former corporate executive, many of the skills that I needed in order to get my job done well, I was never trained on. I was never trained how to be brave. I was never trained on how to navigate conflict. I was never trained on how to handle a difficult conversation. And yet, you know, early on in my career, Those were a lot of the expectations that people have had. I have had clients and colleagues who on their first day, welcome to the company, you need to lay off 50 people. (laughs) It's like, well, wait a minute, I don't don't even know who these people are. So we had Henry Ford who brought us the 40-day work week, and now we have Joe who's talking about the four-day work week where Thursday's the new Friday. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're thinking and what brought this idea and concept to the marketplace? Yeah, it's really interesting when you, I'm a guy that I like to look at principles and ideas, but I want to look at the history of things to see how solid things actually are. So for me, getting to the four day work week now, we have to go back a little bit. And so we'll do a quick kind of go back in time to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the ones that gave us the seven day week. And so if you look in the sky, it makes sense that we have days because that's how long it takes our you know, globe to spin. The moons loosely connect to months. Our year we go around the sun, but there's nothing in nature that points to seven days. And the Babylonians, they just looked up and they saw the sun, the moon, they saw earth, mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And they said, well, we should do seven days. The Egyptians, they had an eight-day week. The Romans had a 10-day week. Even in the 1800s, the Russians tried a five-day week. So just to start with, 
the seven day weeks completely made up because the Babylonians had bad astronomers, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> uh, so even that is completely made up. So then if we fast forward to Henry Ford, we get the 40 hour work week. Um, but then if we start looking in the eighties and nineties, we see the rise of casual Fridays. We see Fridays becoming this day when people bring in cupcakes because somebody's having a baby. We have the team building activities that we go on a retreat for the day to have a visioning meeting. They become a less worked day. But then you look at the pandemic and when the pandemic hit in 2020, it really challenged all of what we were saying were the key performance indicators within a business of someone coming in for 40 hours. You know, here's a couple of the KPIs that we want them to do, but we don't actually dig into why are we hiring this person? And so what we're seeing is that, you know, people, businesses, managers, you know, even the higher ups are saying, what is the actual function of our business? Then what's the function of each individual teams? Is that time-based or is that outcome-based or is it a mixture of those two? And so we're starting to see this huge shift towards flexible work schedules of which four-day work weeks oftentimes is a starting point for a number of countries or individual corporations. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about the impact of, of the pandemic as it pertains to scheduling, I think something interesting has happened, which is in addition to it impacting the structure, right, which is, hey, I need to be at the office Monday through Friday, nine to five. It also has impacted my mindset about it. So even though there are companies who are saying, OK, everybody, welcome back, uh, everybody back at work nine to five, people are saying, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if that still makes sense. I don't know if I have to do that. I can be very productive working at home. And, you know, most of the obstacles to working at home right now oftentimes are leaders based on the premise that if I can't see you, I am going to defer to an assumption that you're not as productive as if you were here in the office. So working from home creates in their mind less productivity, uh, more freedom, uh, negative impacts to the ongoing growth and evolution of their business versus being back at home. And I'm sure you have seen leaders who have adopted a everybody back at work. This is pre-pandemic mentality. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear about flexible work weeks or four-day work weeks. And others who have said, hey, let's close our corporate offices we don't need all this space any longer. Uh, it doesn't make sense unless transition to a more virtual, open workspace. Is that what you've heard from clients and what you're currently seeing? Absolutely. And what I love to see is how this happened before the pandemic, because to see how in that work environment, um, stories of, of bravery and stories of people pushing back, uh, right now, it's, you know, people are a lot more open to it. Whereas, you know, several years ago, they weren't. There, there's this guy, Ted Forrester. Uh, he was an HVAC instructor at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. So in Southwest Michigan, a smaller community college, two year, you know, prepping for university for most students. Uh, and this guy, Ted, uh, he not only taught HVAC, uh, he also uh, was the one that oversaw all of the heating and cooling for the entire college. And he noticed that very few students in the summer were actually on campus on a Friday. And so every Friday throughout a whole summer, he went up on the roof and he took a picture of the parking lot. Uh, and then he presented it to the board in the fall and just said, hey, I just want to point this out to you. you know, we have very few students that are actually on campus on Fridays. Um, and here's how much we're paying in heating and cooling costs you know, on Fridays in the summer. Kind of talked about how the system worked. The board of directors didn't even understand how the heating and cooling worked. And just said, you know, if we if we were able to shut down the AC, you know, on Thursday evening and then have it start early Sunday morning or I'm sorry, early Monday morning uh, so that it was prepped for Monday, you know, here's how much it would save. 
And the board said, well, do you have more information? And he had this little USB drive and he had a whole PowerPoint ready to go <laughs> about the impact of the four day work week, about like what it would do. And they tested it for that first summer and they've kept it going. They've saved millions of dollars in AC costs. Their staff satisfaction and retention, which everybody's talking about now, they aren't seeing the, the massive exodus that a lot of you know major just regular companies are seeing, but they also had their student success go up because their students then could come in a little bit later on a Tuesday. So if you work till five and the college shuts down at five for most of the support services, what do you do? You have to take time off work. If you're a working parent and single parent, how are you going to make that happen? And so they saw student success go up. And so this almost triple or quadruple bottom line from this one HVAC instructor that was brave enough to say, wait, I see an opportunity here. We could switch to a four-day work week in the summer, have happier staff, have happier students, and save millions of dollars. It was one of those moments where he really shifted the leadership by just starting to ask questions and bringing the data to them. Well, financial management is oftentimes a leader in people's interest levels after payroll in most organizations. Real estate is the second highest P&L expense. And so if I was on the board or if I was a leader at an organization and we could save millions of dollars a year by not leasing and renting furniture and using electricity and renting space and still maintain productivity and have happier employees and happy customers, you know, people are going to pay attention to that, right? They're going to say, yeah. wow, this might be something we need to think about. So in your book, Thursday is the New Friday. Tell us a little bit about the book. And I know there's a particular section in there regarding internal inclinations that might tie directly to bravery at work. Yeah. So the flow of the book is, is three major sections. So I'll kind of give the big picture. So first we start internally with the internal inclinations. So there's three internal inclinations that top performers, top leaders that the research points to that they have. Uh, once you know where you stand there, uh, and I have an assessment that usually we charge for that. I'm going to give a code to your audience that they can use to take the assessment for free. It'll save them 60 bucks or something like that. And so then you go through the assessment, you figure out which inclinations come naturally for you and which ones need some work. It's not pass fail like oh you didn't pass the inclinations you, you can't be a leader no no it's we just want to know the baseline and that, that is a shift from the industrialist mindset the industrialist would be pass fail the new way is well let's try it let's develop it let's grow it so once you know yourself internally then we can move external and the way we often enter the world is we run full tilt during the week and then we use the weekend to recover and then we run full tilt and then we recover instead of reaction we want our weekends to be in preparation and so we want to flip it where we focus on slowing down first and healthy habits around that to optimize the brain so then when we go into the week we can absolutely kill it so internal inclinations slow down then kill it uh, and so we walk through, how do you slow down? What gets in the way of slowing down? Let's talk about the hustle culture that's out there where we're always told, you know, work harder, uh, just keep doing things, you know, never take a Saturday off. And then we look at their brain research to actually show that when we slow down, we get a lot more done. And then when it's time to kill it, how do we sprint? How do we run full tilt? We, we talk about something called sprint types. So similar to personality types, uh, the research actually shows that there are different ways that different people sprint. The way that they batch things is in their brains differently than other people. And so a lot of people are sprinting and batching in a way that doesn't align with their brains. So if we go back to that initial starting point of internal inclinations, there's three internal inclinations. The first one's curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is an ability to move on it. 
And so that first one, curiosity, you know, when I dove into this chapter, I always like to kind of start from scratch, even knowing the direction where it was going. And I was thinking, well, like, where did this, like, what are things that come to mind when I say curiosity? And if I said curiosity killed the Ed right away, you'd know killed the cat. And I was like, where did that come from? Well, in 1910, there was a cat that got stuck in a chimney. It made national news. It was a slow news week. And in the Washington Post in 1910, the headline read, curiosity killed the cat. But think about that. If you go down in dark alley, if you ask the wrong questions in a meeting, you're going to die. Like, is that a message we should send our children or even our workers? No, it's ridiculous. It was a couple of months ago, uh, my daughters who are seven and 10 were playing with my nieces who are four and six. So four little girls playing outside and they're like squealing and running. And I don't know where it got really quiet. So I was the adult in charge. So I like popped my head out, you know, when kids get quiet, <laughs> something's up. And they're all standing around this dead mouse. And I hear this cute little discussion of how do you think it died? Do you think it died happy? Um, do you think that an owl would eat it? Do owl even, owls even eat dead mice or only live mice? Should we do a mouse funeral? Um, what do you say to mouse funeral? Do you think they'd want a mouse funeral? I mean, it was hilarious. But they're just curious about this dead mouse. Children are constantly trying to figure out, is what I'm seeing how the world works? Is this car accident something that I should be scared of? Or is this outside of the norm, all through life, their first rainbow they see. The best leaders maintain or push into that curiosity. So when they have a Facebook ads campaign, maybe it's more than their company has ever spent on Facebook ads. And you know they spend all this money, they get all these clicks, but they get no new clients. You know, Of course, you're going to feel bummed out that you spent that money. But the most curious leaders will say, well, what did we learn about our engagement? What did we learn about our copy? What did we learn about our potential cold audience, what they do or what they don't do? They have that curious approach rather than a pass-fail approach. The second internal inclination is an outsider perspective. And we see people like Elon Musk, Albert Einstein, other great people that they've moved cultures, they've moved uh, companies, they've moved across you know, the globe oftentimes, and they bring a new mindset across industries that helps them not just get stuck within it. There was a really interesting research study that it was called the color study. And they brought people, these small groups in, and they showed them the colors blue, and they showed them the colors green. And they said, is this blue? Is this green? Most of the time, everybody agreed. And then on the second version of the study, they had two people in the group that were working with the researchers. And on certain green or blue colors, they would say the opposite. Oh, that's definitely blue. And the whole group was like, no, that's green. And they found that statistically, these people had more influence as an outsider and as standing in opposition than what they should have had. And so we see the outsiders routinely when they're brave and they step into that um, are able to influence organizations. So think about any time you've joined a new organization, you see things and you say, well, that's weird. Why do they do it that way? Um, sometimes you just don't know the organization, but other times they've done really weird things without really questioning it for a while. And you're in a position as an outsider to say, wait a second, what's going on here? Then that third internal inclination uh, is that ability to move on it. So most of business, most of employment, we want to value speed over accuracy, speed over accuracy. You know, there's things in life I want to be accurate. Like if I go in for surgery, I want my doctor, I want her to take as long as she needs. You know, like I want her to do a perfect job in my surgery, but that's just not true in the business world. And so we see that those top leaders are the ones that are really able to value speed and feedback quickly. Well, when I hear those three internal inclinations, they all sound like, Joe, that they require some degree of bravery, right? Curiosity and asking good questions of a leader and maybe on a sensitive topic uh, takes a degree of bravery that many people may not independently possess. Certainly being an outside influencer and raising your hand 
providing an observation, making a suggestion that might not be culturally correct or different, I think sounds like requires a, a degree of bravery. And certainly the ability to move, right, takes bravery, right? If you got to get people from point A to point B, you know, sometimes you got to say things or do things in order to get them to move. And so when you think about those internal influencers and merging it with bravery at work, does does that work for you? I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely. Because if you think of each of them and ask the question, why don't people do each of those internal inclinations? So why why are people not curious? Well, they're too scared that they're going to lose their job. They're scared they're going to ask the wrong question. They they don't feel safe in, in their work environment. And maybe they aren't. You know, and that should raise questions to you. If you can't be curious at work and you can't push back and ask questions and Say, well, what's going on here? Let's not have a pass-fail mentality. You know, if you can't do that, then that may be pointing that this might not be a healthy work environment. Or it may be that you aren't in a state of health that you can really push back like you maybe should be doing. Or, you know, if you have lost that outsider's perspective to say, wow, I, I haven't tried new things. You know, even just entering into new activities personally um, can build that outsider perspective and that new perspective. You know, a few years ago, a friend of mine said to me, hey, I'm doing improv every Wednesday night. You want to just stop by and see if you like it? And I was like, sure. And so I've joined this improv troupe and like, I do not have to do any sort of ab workout on Thursdays because I laugh so hard on Wednesday evenings. <laughs> um, it's purely for the fun of it and to just like lose track of time, to be in just like, just to have fun as an adult. But there's ancillary benefit to it. It's helping my brain wire differently. It's helping me learn to think on my feet. I was just doing a keynote and the clicker stopped working and I had to go do my keynote from next to the computer uh, because the planners hadn't done it right. I made a couple jokes that made people laugh and it, it came from that improv training. And so it can help us when we put ourselves outside of there. Or if you even just think about why do we value accuracy so much and we're paralyzed by perfection and we don't get things done quickly, well, maybe we're scared our boss is going to come down on us. Or if we do legitimately screw up, you know, too much of our ego is wrapped up in what we do, being able to step back and say, you know what, I would rather do 10 things at 80% and then go back and fix the couple things that were wrong than to take all that time to do one thing at 100% that's perfect, that maybe isn't even perfect. Well, and just going back to something as fundamental as curiosity and reflecting back on my 25 years in corporate America, it is oftentimes very hard to be curious, right? You're afraid you're asking people to repeat things that everybody else already heard, or the question you might be asking is quote unquote dumb, and you feel that you're going to be judged by others. It is so hard, even though it's so basic to say, hey, I'm not sure I understood what you just said. Can you say it again or walk it through us a different way, right? Even something of that nature is so, so difficult. So Joe, it has been great speaking with you today and your new book, Thursday is the New Friday, is available publicly and it sounds like it would be of great help to individuals who are looking on how to reflect newly on the work week and how they can contribute in their jobs and their roles. And if people wanted to talk more with you about the work that you're doing, or learn more about your book, where can they go? Yeah, first I would say uh, taking that internal inclination assessment, we put a lot of time and research into that. So uh, that's usually $59 and we're offering it for free to your audience. So they can just go to internaltest.com. That'll take them to that landing page. If they just use promo code T-I-T-N-F. So that's for Thursday is the new Friday. If they use that code, they'll get it for free. So that would be the best place to start so that they can get some really good resources. So they'll find out where they land on each of those three internal inclinations. Then it'll also tell them, here's a few tips of what you can do to develop those based on your scores. 
Uh, joesanok.com is where all of my keynote speaking and uh, podcast requests go through. And then the Practice of the Practice podcast is uh, a great business podcast for people that are in any sort of service industry. So that could be coaches, counselors, therapists, dentists, uh, people that are growing in those different areas. Fantastic. And when we publish our conversation, we will put a link to the free assessment. And I certainly encourage all of our listeners to take it. I would imagine it's five, seven minutes, right? A fairly yeah, quick. It's not long. Right right assessment to uh, help them understand their perspective a little bit better. So, Joe, thank you once again for joining us on Be Brave at Work. Ed, thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.